0: This week, we hit the road to learn how an Edmonton-born software company is helping
1: truckers stay safe and be more efficient. Plus, we drive by some other transportation innovation stories. Hi, I'm Karen Unland, And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton.
0: Hi, Faiza. What do you know about big trucks?
1: Um, nothing really. I actually don't know. But as soon as you said, what do you know about big trucks? I just thought I like big trucks and I cannot lie. Um, (laughs) but that's about it. That's all I got. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I can't drive
0: a stick shift even, but my, there's a bit of trucking in my blood. So my dad was a trucker in the seventies and eighties, and it was a much much different industry then. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating for me to get a chance this week uh, to attend, or last week, I guess, to attend the opening of DriveWise's new headquarters on Calgary Trail. It's just get a, a glimpse of this very high tech, very safety focused world that trucking has become.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we we kind of saw it uh, in the pandemic, how not having truck drivers available to us or ha- uh, being so dependent on them uh, really puts trucking front and center. And, and you know, obviously the stakes are much higher from a safety perspective. So I've followed DriveWise for a while, but I don't know too much about them. And so I'm excited that they're expanding and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about what you were able to chat with them about.
0: Yeah, well, it is. Uh, it It's a company that the co-founder, Fred Coe, said in in one of some of the communications that I was reading that uh, we are not an overnight success, but they kind of still feel like, it, like everybody does. Anybody who's, who's successful kind of does feel like it because... Mm-hmm. But they started building this company in 2003. The company that they started building was Intelligent Imaging Systems. They spun that off into DriveWise in 2011. And now DriveWise is like this big going concern with hundreds of employees and millions of trucks and, and all of this kind of stuff. They were at launch party in, in 2013, and now they're here. So, um, it's been a long time coming. And I wanted to learn more about that. And so I got a chance to talk to Brian Heath. And he's the the president and CEO of both Intelligent Imaging Systems and DriveWise. And so we just had a conversation about how his connected services to the commercial trucking industry help keep truckers and fleets safer and help them be more efficient. Here's our conversation. So I want to start with something that you said at the grand opening of DriveWise's um, fancy new headquarters in Edmonton on July 21st, you were you were recalling the early days of this company when you and Fred Coe were meeting in a coffee shop and plotting to take over the world. And you said at that point, even you, we got to see our technology literally save lives. So I wanted to know more about that story and what you meant by that.
2: Yeah, you know we had uh, built uh, an infrared inspection system. These are systems that are mounted into a van that law enforcement uses. They use special uh, infrared cameras to detect if the brakes are working or non-working on commercial trucks as they drive past those camera systems. And we were just uh, in West Virginia. We uh, had delivered a few of these vans And uh, Fred and I, in those days, we did the training ourselves. So we were in the vans with the law enforcement officers. And this was on the first day of training. So we positioned the van just on uh, the ramp of a weigh station. So and if you're familiar with weigh stations, they're along all the sides of the highways, uh, mandatory for trucks to pull over into those weigh stations. And so we would see a flow of trucks Coming down the ramp of the way station. And then the truck would, those trucks would be passing alongside the inspection van. So we had officers inside that were controlling the cameras and looking at the wheel sets, the passing wheel sets of these trucks. And it wasn't more than a few hours into training where, uh, you know, this uh, commercial truck pulled in. It was a tractor trailer unit, relatively new unit brand name on the side you never expect anything wrong with it so to look at the vehicle it looked like a safe vehicle and yet uh, when you know looking at that vehicle's wheel sets through the uh, infrared camera on the the steer axle on the passenger side we were seeing shards of hot metal coming off of the axle as it was driving and so that really got the intention, the attention of uh, the inspector, and you know, so we we said, okay, well let's let's radio over to the officer on the roadside, and have that officer pull that truck over. And so the that happened, and the, as you know, the truck uh, pulled over into the way station. The driver parked the truck, and he had no sooner turned off that vehicle and stepped out of the vehicle that the passenger side, the wheel on the steer axle, it literally fell off. Really? Oh yeah, God. it fell off. The whole the side of the truck just went down on the tractor. And, and it was, the driver was extremely thankful
3: mm. for
2: us having pulled him over. He was completely unaware that anything uh, was wrong with the vehicle. And he was hauling. Almost eighty thousand pounds of steel, and these are along uh, really tight, winding, mountainous roads in West right. Virginia. Yeah. He had no doubt that just a few miles down the road he would have gotten into a major accident. It was an experience for us because the you know the officers they got to see the technology really work.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: the driver got to see the opportunity for technology to uh, help avoid a potential crash. And it actually turned into a big deal. So (laughs) that officer, that driver was so excited. He called the governor's office. He called the press. He was like, my life has been saved by these folks and this technology. And so that it became quite a big event. And so to have that sort of validation was really powerful for us. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people that we work with, in our company have spent their lives devoted to uh, public safety, to transportation safety. Uh, folks have been impacted personally by motor vehicle crashes. So uh, yeah, an example like that, and, and we've had more uh, through the years, uh, it's really, it's I, I never get tired of retelling the story because, you know, of the look on the driver's face. And instead of, Someone being angry that they've been pulled over and they might get a ticket or something like that. He was just so thankful uh, and appreciative.
0: So you now employ 200 plus people that you have to keep on that why and and aware of of like how their incremental, what seemingly incremental contribution to the day to day gets, uh, how, how much closer that gets to the zero zero goal. And you, you're in three million trucks. Way back then in the coffee shop, did you imagine this company being this big? And I'll start
2: there. (laughs) Okay, uh, so I would say aspirations were always unlimited. But to imagine what we're doing today, no, we didn't have that. The challenge of transportation safety was huge and that it would take a long time to address. And so we knew that we would at some point have to grow and address it at scale, but we didn't know how we would do that, you know, and so that's a little bit of a tribute to, you know, the team and the people that you bring into an organization, because you, you have a strategy and, you know, in terms of how you're going to grow, and then you interact with reality, uh, the marketplace, and then you depend on your team to be able to iterate and to try and find the path forward. And so, no, I don't think we could have predicted that we would be where we're going to be. Yes, we had big aspirations, but there's no way we could have premeditated uh, what we've become.
0: So is there a way to premeditate what you will become from here? Like, that, like how much bigger do you imagine yeah. uh, getting?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. There's different stages, of course, to companies' uh, company's growth and early on, you're really trying to find product market fit. And then you're trying to make sure that you're addressing the right market and there's a good, you know, strong market size that you can go after. And then you start to build, you know, the team and the processes and the go-to-market strategy, and then you start scaling. We've now grown to a place where, you know, we, we really look at how do we build on our past success. And our current success. And it's, and so it provides a lot more clarity into the future in terms of what do we do. So we have a pathway to really leveraging our connected truck platform to continue to bring, you know, safety and sustainability solutions at scale to the uh, freight industry. Freight is not limited to Canada and the US, uh, it's a global effort. And so I don't think there's any reason why we won't look at growing our solutions, not just in North America, but outside of North America. So there's lots of opportunity to grow. It will be uh, connected truck solutions and leveraging what we've already built, this platform that we've built.
0: Will you need to seek more investment to get to that point? Or is this growth that can be funded with customers?
2: Yeah. You never know. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that there's always a decision to be made inside of a company as to whether or not you fund a company just with internally generated profits, or you try to accelerate growth using outside investor capital. We've been successful in partnering with uh, investors to grow the company in the past. We've raised now about $130 million Canadian. Uh, and so we've, I think, proven that a uh, Canadian company like us can raise money and, and be successful in uh, managing that and working with our investors. I think that in the future, uh, we've got options, which is what any company wants. If you've got options, then you're just going to do what's right for uh, the company.
0: At the point where you are now, what is the hardest thing about getting your technology adopted?
2: probably internally set expectations from the team. We always want to go faster and grow faster and do more and we're anxious and impatient. Uh, and that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that, you know, that, that that's the, the standards that we set for ourselves internally are really what drive our desire to do more uh, and at a faster scale. We've got, fantastic goodwill uh, in the industry. Uh, We've worked really hard to uh, build a solid reputation in our markets and a commitment to our customers. And so we think of the limits on growth as being more internally set. How do we get better at what we do? And how do we provide these solutions to more people, you know, than we did yesterday? And so that's a a constant internal challenge, but yeah, I think you know those are the bars we set for ourselves.
0: How has the pandemic affected DriveWise?
2: Like a lot of companies, early on, there was a lot of uh, anxiety for sure. Nobody knew what was going to happen, and mm-hmm. what was going to happen to the economy. You know, we went, I think, to extraordinary lengths to make sure that we were communicating with our team all the time. So we had weekly calls. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> connecting with the team, giving them updates on what was happening. We're talking the early days of the shutdown. And of course, we're all working remotely. Now it helps that we're a technology company and we're set up for remote work anyway. So that yeah. transition was easy for us and instantaneous. There were only a few jobs you know, in the company that requires someone to be on site. And so that transition was fast uh, and relatively painful for us. And you know, over time... I I think we were surprised at how well we adapted and how we were able to really advance our business and grow our business right through the pandemic. We were proactive in terms of working with our customers, adding feature functionality and value into the products, making sure that uh, we were delivering what we promised during the pandemic. So that was really important but the teams became really hyper-focused on delivering our services successfully. Uh, And that was all done virtually. So in some respects, because of the virtual nature of the business, we didn't have to coordinate travel to meet people one-on-one. In some respects, business accelerated. We were able to get more done. You know, we took advantage of society quickly moving ahead with a new way of interacting. And That phase of the pandemic, we were really surprised by and happy to see how the company and the team adapted. Later in the pandemic, where, you know, we had false starts, we thought we could start to get back to the office, then Omicron came around and we said, no, we can't get back to the office. We got a sense of people wanting to see each other face to face again. As we were building the office, and of course, as we built the office, we had the pandemic in mind, we had hybrid work concepts in mind, it really became important to us, you know, the design of the office itself. Like, how do you design a workplace so that it encourages, you know, your team members to, you know, to be part of a community? to be highly engaged. And, and, you know, that is one of the downsides and studies have shown that uh, you know, fully virtual work. So remote employees, they do have challenges around engagement. They do have challenges around, you know, the social aspects of team. How do you bridge cracks in culture? You know, when, uh, when folks have never really never met face to face. And, and I think some of that can be bridged. You know, we did a lot of work in terms of how we still do uh, virtual get togethers, times for people to meet up with each other one on one, with teams, formal teams, informal social gatherings, you know, using the virtual platforms that are out there. And that helped. But but the underlying desire for, you know, a segment of our population that wants to be on site that want that enjoys social engagement with other team members. That was there. And we knew that we had to build it into the office design.
0: You decided to keep that in Edmonton, even though like most of your customers are in the States, you've got a big office in Dallas. I think you live in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Why stay in Edmonton? What's the benefit of having your.
2: When we started the company, uh, Fred and I both lived in Edmonton uh, and I don't most of my growing up in Edmonton uh, there was a certain stability and affordability uh, in Edmonton to investing in you know a manufacturing facility and so it made sense here that technical talent in Edmonton you know is second to none probably Edmonton is somewhat underrated in you know in that side of the world uh, fantastic technical talent and so we knew that, you know, we had the important elements of starting to build, you know, a company. And so uh, Fred my partner based out of Edmonton, you know, very committed to the community here. And so we thought the investment made sense. And we're proud to, you know, have a company that's based out of Edmonton. Proud to have a company that's based out of Canada, you know, that's, you know, revolutionizing transportation. You don't often see that. And in the technology world, know we built a company that tier one venture capital companies and private equity companies from around the world you know have really taken notice of the quality of the enterprise that's been built and to know that that the big component of that is Edmonton our Edmonton headquarters uh, and our Edmonton staff uh, is really cool Uh, and that's validating to anyone in Alberta that wonders that we have the wherewithal to create world-class technology companies. Absolutely we do. There, you know, we we don't have the critical mass that places like, you know, the Bay Area would. Uh, And so we don't have the, the bench strength of a lot of experienced tech talent around things like product management, for instance, customer success in the SaaS world. So there's elements where we still need to build local capacity and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to offer this space to the community so if we can help encourage uh, other technology innovators uh, and the startup community uh, to grow to share information uh, to create networks Uh, and there already are networks here i mean just look at startup uh you know edmonton uh you know so there are networks here but they can I think, can be built upon and can be augmented uh, by, you know, companies like ourselves pitching in and participating and helping out. That if the more that we can create, uh, you know, that environment, the more of a critical mass we build in experience and technical talent. Uh, and and that helps all of us.
0: I want you to put your future hat on. What What is the future of trucking itself? And what what role does drivewise play in that? For a layperson like me, I, I, I might think autonomous vehicles. Is that the future you see? Or like what, where, what will this all look like in 20 years or more?
2: Trucking itself, of course, is not going away anytime soon. Over 86% of the goods that you buy were delivered by a truck. Mm. It is the lifeblood of an economy to be able to move goods that are produced to consumers. That industry, which today in North America tops just about a trillion dollars a year, it's a huge industry. And so it's not going anywhere, but there are trends uh, and and the industry is evolving along with technologies that become available to it. One of them is autonomous vehicles. One of them is electrified vehicles uh, or alternate fuel vehicles and so uh, I would say that autonomous vehicles, uh, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of investment made into that industry. I've no doubt it's going to play a role in the industry and over time, a growing role. You know, but I wouldn't expect to see our highways full of autonomous vehicles, you know, making deliveries in the next two years. Like mm. I should, you know, those timeframes aren't reasonable, but there are... Definitely, you know, sweet spots for autonomous vehicles to operate in today uh, that can be expanded upon in the future. And so those vehicles that are autonomous, they still have to communicate to the infrastructure around them. They will always have to. You know, trucking is heavily regulated uh, and, and there's a lot of responsibilities on regulators to try and understand and, you know, care for the safety of other people on the transportation network. So for instance, if there is a, you know, autonomous truck, so that has no driver in it, is it operating safely? Is it allowed to operate without a driver? Is it certified? Is everything working correctly on that vehicle? There's all these questions that would be posed. And so a lot of those kind of needs can be delivered by links to the infrastructure around it. So whether that's to systems or sensors or programs uh, or agencies, so drive-wise, if you think about, you know, what role do we play, we're that bridge. We're the bridge between the vehicle and the transportation network around it. And whether there's a driver today or in the future, it's driverless. There are there's still an incredible need for that bridge. Uh, and that that could be to give information. To, you know, to agencies around regulatory requirements. It may be to pull information from the roadside that can be used by those autonomous vehicles uh, in operations. So lots of opportunity for a platform, a connected truck platform like ourselves to grow and evolve with the industry into the autonomous vehicle world
0: strikes me that trucking is a very male dominated area although there's more and more women who are driving truck Uh, software development kind of male do you do you worry about diversity in your in your area and and like is that part of what you try to nurture when you're building a culture that can keep everybody safer
2: oh absolutely so it it helps a little bit that the co-founders are both You know, first generation immigrants, Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: so you're just sort of hardwired to think about diversity, uh, and that you know extends to gender diversity. It was probably about five years ago that we get we started to have a serious look at gender diversity, Uh, and we said, okay, well, how do we how do we start to create an environment where you can really attract greater gender diversity into the software engineering world. And so we put a lot of effort into that. Uh, in fact, today we are over uh, 30% female on our teams, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, not an easy thing to do, you know, in the, in the engineering world. Um, right. but we're really proud of it. Uh, and it's something that we focus on. You know, the macro trends are supporting us. There are more women that are uh, participating in trucking, in engineering, uh, we in fact, we we were just announced as one of the finalists by a women in trucking organization uh, oh. you know, for for supporting uh, that initiative. So,, uh, yeah, it's you know, it's exciting. So we're seeing you know, there's a long way to go, as with anything, but uh, but we're really happy with how we're kind of moving and progressing.
0: Is there anything else that you would like people to know about like where drivewise is going and kind of how it got here?
2: The message, From us is so here's a company, Edmonton based, that is recruiting world class talent in Edmonton uh, with a strong sense of purpose and a mission, with a fantastic culture and an environment that really drives engagement. And as we grow, uh, we want to continue to attract uh, people who. Uh, you know are similarly minded who want to make a difference who love technical challenge who you know want to be part of a collaborative uh, and engaging team you know having our name out in the Edmonton community uh, I think becomes important as we scale and you know to another sort of uh, you know larger size so (laughs) it's funny to think that it took over 15 years for us to put a sign on the outside of our office. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we're really proud of the confidence we have, the accomplishments, you know, that we've made. And now we're going to make sure that, you know, other folks in Edmonton, they can see us as an employer of choice. And also a community member that uh, is willing to invest in helping rise the tide because as the tide rises, you know, so do all boats. So, uh, so, you know, we want to definitely be an active participant in the, in the tech community.
0: So you can see what I mean about like how high tech trucking has become and how much more so that it's likely to get. And yet, Like we haven't figured out a way to get away from literal rubber hitting the road and wanting to make sure that that happens as safely as possible.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, this kind of reminds me of a podcast I was just listening to this morning. It's the Knowledge Project uh, with uh, Shane Parrish, who's based out of Ottawa. And he was chatting with Andrew Wilkinson from Victoria. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that, you know, he likes businesses that are boring because boring is beautiful. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of interesting when you think about trucking and even a lot of the businesses that we are so uh, that we've built here in Edmonton. And we do tend to focus on very practical or very kind of no pun intended under the hood problems. Um, And with DriveWise, yeah, I can see how. You know, safety is a problem, especially in uh, what Brian was saying about the future of trucking and with autonomous vehicles. And and it reminds me a lot about the conversation around AI and things that it's one thing to develop the technology, but it's another to think about how it's governed, how it's regulated, what are the safety implications. And and like I said earlier, trucking is very high stakes. And so I am curious to see how drivewise having such a, a broad scope and having so many customers that aren't based in Edmonton, but that are based around North America, how they can be part of that discussion around how the future of this industry is shaped now, knowing everything that they know um, about trucking from a more, I guess, first principles perspective.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely seem like they understand how things are but also can see where things are going and mm-hmm. that um, in the end, the trucks are going to have to talk to the infrastructure in the future, whether there's a guy behind the wheel or not. So I think they're well positioned to, to take advantage of that. I also think it's really interesting that they want to build that future here in Edmonton.
1: They don't have to, but they're, they're here. What did you think about that part yeah, I feel like this is a common theme with a lot of Edmonton-based businesses. Um, they want to stay in Edmonton because there's something about this community that people get really attached to, despite all of the challenges that exist here. And I think what Brian said about also needing to be in Vancouver because that's where there's some critical mass, uh, but then trying to also build that more of that mass here in Edmonton and creating a space where people can can play and collaborate um, and have some value and physically being located in Edmonton. I think that's a very real perspective. I think sometimes we are hard on entrepreneurs and are like, "Well, they just make it here. They started here and then they leave and go and some- go somewhere else." But at the end of the day, I mean, they could they could do things the easy way and just go where the talent is. Mm-hmm. But they do see this special niche of talent here. They do have some uh commitment to the community, and so the fact that they're spending the time, money, effort to build here while still trying to s- satisfy their current business, I think is pretty admirable, but also uh, something that I think we have a lot of public sector organizations around to solve. And And I'm curious to see how we start making some traction on that because we are just going to get more DriveWises in this city, hopefully more big companies yeah. and, and homegrown successes. And it's a shame to uh, make people choose between locations.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's clear that they really want to, be more visible and present in Edmonton than they have been. And they want to use that building to, to be part of what helps them recruit and retain that talent and kind of build the whole contribute to the whole ecosystem so that there's more people around who know how to do how to build stuff and sell stuff and create the kinds of things that they're doing.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of other folks we've talked to on this podcast, like, uh, the the folks over at GTV Optics or even uh, Chris from Wild and Pine. Um, and of course, even the, the team at Jobber who we haven't spoken to, but a lot of them have the majority of their customers outside of Edmonton mm-hmm. and yet they're here. And so um, I wonder if there's a way to better connect all those companies and maybe tell some sort of unified story of the opportunities that exist here and you know, we're seeing a lot of tech talent get laid off in other markets, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the Edmonton-based companies have tried to pick up on that, you know, Shopify uh, reneged on a bunch of co-op contracts and other folks are letting go of their dev teams. And so that's great. But I wonder how, you know, we've always done well in in negative uh, financial times. I wonder yeah. how we can kind of leverage that opportunity now and say, well, how do we take advantage of a recession? That's a
0: good point. Maybe it won't be a recession. The the more you say recession, the more likely it is going to be a recession. Anyway, (laughs) we'll, We'll get into macroeconomics. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll chat about some other items involving innovation in transportation. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's part four of MacMail's chat with Daryl Petras, the organization's director of business and community development.
4: Well, Daryl, now we have a good understanding of the array of programming that Innovate Edmonton offers, as well as a little bit more detail about startup and scale up Edmonton. It strikes me that there's another whole area of innovation that is really interesting, and that's around post-secondaries and uh, you know, the folks who are students and faculty at post-secondaries. What does Innovate Edmonton's programming look like for post-secondary innovation?
3: Within the scale up Edmonton programming, yes, as the name suggests, we, we focus on growing company, early you know technology-enabled growing companies, but almost counterintuitively, we have that post-secondary institution program. And the idea there is to deliver deep expertise on campuses within Edmonton. And we have five campuses right now who are part of the program looking to expand that. We place EIRs on the campus to help mentor and coach, if you will, uh, students and faculty members. These might be folks with uh, companies already or they might be people who are considering entrepreneurship, pre-incorporation, and those entrepreneurs will help navigate the support system that's available in the community to these to these entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs. And in doing that, they they navigate or help guide these companies or projects to one other program that falls under Scale Up Edmonton called Business Development Support Services, dedicated to post-secondary institutions. And there we offer not just 100 hours like we do in our Experts on Demand program, but up to 150 hours of support for these earlier stage projects. One might consider that investing in earlier stage projects is higher risk because they're early. However, we do firmly believe, and we're seeing results now, that if we help catapult these companies early on, these projects forward into to company creation early on, they'll get to success more quickly. We all recognize that failure comes with the territory and often should be celebrated, um, but in this case, uh, you know, we're, we're we're tackling it head on and putting some experts on some very early stage opportunities.
4: All right. That's been a really good overview of all of the programming that Innovate Edmonton offers from startup to scale up Edmonton, What off, what, uh, what is available for post-secondary innovators. We heard a little bit about Accelerate, which we've also covered in the past on Bloom. Uh, Daryl, let's bring it all back together and uh, and tell entrepreneurs or innovators who might be listening how if they could get involved if
3: they want to access some of this programming. So, my first recommendation when it comes to seeking more information is to feel free to reach out to any Innovate Edmonton team member, including myself directly. One of the, the entry points into Innovate Edmonton that an entrepreneur or a founder could be referred to is a program called get started and we will take a half hour through that program one of our team members to sit down with the company with the founder understand where they're at because as i mentioned earlier yeah depending on the stage of the company we might we will have a program for them depending on the stage of development we will have a program for them i'm pretty confident but they might fit you know a different spot depending on their stage of development within our program portfolio so get started we'll take a we'll spend a half an hour And we get to know the company, the founders, and suggest some programming internally and sometimes even externally if we're not the best match. And that can be done through our website. That can be done through our our, um, reaching out to any of our program leads. And in other ways to reach us, uh, sign up for our newsletter. You'll be connected to us well. And then, of course, on all social media.
4: Fantastic. Well, getting get started sounds like an appropriate name for, uh, for that program. I hope entre- entrepreneurs and innovators who are listening uh, take this opportunity to reach out and see how Innovate Edmonton might be able to help them. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us on Bloom to talk about all of the different programming offered by Innovate Edmonton.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life and disability coverage online, anytime on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
0: All right. Uh, After our interview, I asked Brian from DriveWise about their environmental impact as I wanted to understand a little bit better how that intersects. And he said that because DriveWise helps trucks skip lineups uh, because they don't have to pull into scales unless the sensors tell them that something is off, that saves fuel and emissions since they're not idling in line. So when they report back to their clients, they actually tell them how many liters of fuel and tons of carbon dioxide they that was saved uh, in addition to the time that was saved. That was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Do they... Do they report any of those numbers publicly? I'm. I'd be curious to know what they are. I should have asked
0: that. No. Yeah. I. I. I'll report back to you on that. I'll see <laughs> if they. They put that. It would be good to have kind of like a, like a running total on their website that says like we have saved this many lives, this much, this many accidents, and this much emissions.
1: Yeah, like McDonald's, this many burgers served, or whatever. Right. Just yeah. Keep it yeah. <laughs>
0: So then I was thinking about another story that we're working on at Taproot um, this week, which is uh, kind of, it's an innovative way of measuring what we are actually doing to the environment when we're driving trucks around in it. So the Clean Air Strategic Alliance is uh, working on the next phase of its Roadside Optical Vehicle Emissions Reporter Project. And so it's using remote sensing technology this summer to monitor the amount of uh, nitrogen oxides, volatile organic compounds, carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide that's coming from heavy duty trucks. In previous summers, they've measured that same stuff from uh, like light duty trucks and this is the summer they're looking at the big trucks, and they're going to put all that into a report that'll come out in 2023 with recommendations on, on how to reduce the impacts of the transportation sector on human and environmental health.
1: That's great. Um, when I when I read these uh, or when I hear these different emissions that we're tracking, it almost reminds me of of what uh, indoor air sensors. You know, we hear so much mm-hmm. about indoor air quality now with with uh, the pandemic and everything like that. We're, they're kind of monitoring the same thing and I can't help but picture, you know, these like almost uh, just kind of these sensors sitting in the back of the truck, almost like putting a filter over the the top of the uh, the exhaust, seeing what they capture. I'm sure it's much more technical than that. Oh, yeah. But, you're going to you know. see
0: in this story, they actually like shine light at it and then it can tell what's what's coming in. It's very, it's, cool. it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. I think this is also the sort of thing that dovetails into the business case for electric vehicles, hydrogen fueled vehicles, um, the other innovations that we're going to need to figure out. Like we're probably, from what Brian's saying, we're we're probably a long ways from not needing trucks to be cro- crisscrossing the continent to bring us mm-hmm. stuff. But what can mm-hmm. we do to make it so that they're putting less? that stuff into the environment while they're doing that and what forces innovation in that area is is kind of having quantification of the externalities of the actual cost of doing this stuff so yeah see what they come up with
1: yeah i'm curious to see that too and i mean you know if people are listening to this podcast and thinking about innovation opportunities and things like that this seems to be a great intersection between Some of this data and analysis being done here in in Alberta, but then also, um, you know, some of the funding that we have around uh, emission reduction. And then also, of course, the center of excellence we're we're building around hydrogen could be some ideas brewing for people in the future and and just just might be the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah. And there is Alberta Innovates just did uh, announce some more money for that. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, Last little bit. That was a little story we had at the bottom of the tech roundup this week that I wanted to chat with you about. Mm-hmm. So the next efforts or the, the next step towards TransPod's efforts to build this high-speed link between Edmonton and Calgary happened. So in Toronto, they they unveiled this, what they call a flux jet or a model of the flux jet, which is the vehicle that I guess they're going to put in the tube that's going to shoot you between Calgary and Edmonton at a thousand kilometers an hour. Um, they used to call it a hyperloop, but they don't call it a hyperloop anymore. I don't know if that's because that's like too Elon musk or if uh, the, it's not really what it is. I don't know. But um, I remain skeptical about this project. How are you on it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I remain skeptical as well, even though I just think it's so practical and it would be so wonderful from a tourism standpoint, from, um, you know, um, manufacturing or business standpoint, like it would just be the best thing ever. But unfortunately, I, I almost feel like the, uh, the the gondola downtown is going to get made <laughs> faster than this thing. So, it would, you know, I have mixed feelings on that. So I don't know. It's it is really cool. And I think I hear about a lot of other cities trying to do the same thing. So hopefully at some point somebody kind of nails it or is able to come together with with another company and actually build this because I could see, especially in Canada where we have such huge masses of land that are so separated, transportation is expensive. It costs a lot. I mean, it takes a long time um, and it's just super inefficient. So I, I hope someone's able to crack that nut.
0: Yeah, I just wish the energy was going into high-speed rail instead of like inventing a whole new thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's like, I don't know if, and now I'm kind of dating myself, but I don't know if you ever used to go to Costco, uh, like 15, 20 years ago where they used to take the cash every, every so often they had enough cash in the register. They'd put it in this tube and they close it and then they <laughs> pop it into this thing that sucked it over to the head money counter or whatever. I don't know who, who, you know, the wizard of Oz behind that thing. But as soon as you said that it like shoots things in a low pressure sealed tube, that's exactly what I thought of. And, uh, it doesn't sound very, appealing from a personal standpoint, like a high speed rail could be, but I don't know. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Getting to Calgary in like half an hour does sound appealing. So just how much discomfort are you willing to put through <laughs> <laughs> or how much you're willing to pay?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's all we've got for this week. If you haven't already hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this one, share it with a friend.
0: Gloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker, and our cover art is by Vicky Wiersinski. Bye.